and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life in excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric, E-R-I-K dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Our scripture this morning comes to us from 1 Peter, the third chapter. Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it is my privilege this morning to dive into the depths of an infinite God and, and tackle an incredibly, incredibly challenging piece of scripture with you this morning. Well, over the past number of weeks, I have become more and more and more convinced that God is constantly reaching out to communicate with us. Now, I'm I'm not talking about an audible voice that you would hear or a vision that you might see, even though an infinite God can do whatever he wants. and, And he, of course, has done that in the past and can do that in the present if he so chooses. But I'm talking about through the everyday, normal things of life a conversation you might have or an experience you might have or something going on in your life that when you dive back into scripture and when you see that experience and you, you look at it through the lens of the Bible, that you begin to see the Bible come alive. You begin to see it in a new and fresh way. In fact, this is why you should constantly be reading your Bible because the more life experience that God gives you and the more things that happen to you, the more you actually begin to see the Bible in a new and fresh way. And this is why you can read the same story over and over and over again and still get something new out of it as God begins to speak to you in, in a fresh and new way. Well, this has been happening a lot recently in, for in my life. And one specific thing that has been happening for me, one experience that I've been having recently that's really begun to unlock scripture for me and really begin to unlock, especially the series for me as we talk about an infinite God, is something I'm going through with my daughter. Now, if you don't know my daughter, her name is Kinsley and she's a beautiful young girl. She's a little over two years old. But what we've been kind of battling with as parents is that at this point in time in her life, she should be able to communicate a lot better than she can. So she's having difficulty really understanding what we're trying to say to her And she has a hard time really communicating back. In fact, she really only utilizes about five words at this point in time, which is mom, dad, yes and no. And she will say papa because she likes Paw Patrol and that's her way to communicate to me that she wants to watch her favorite TV show. But it's one of those things that, you know, if you've gone through that or kind of felt that in your kids, you're like, I wish they could do something they can't do. It's a struggle. 
especially when it comes to communication, because you, as a parent, you want to talk to them. You want to share life with them. You want to communicate with them. And as I've been going through this and thinking about this sermon series, I thought this must be what it's like for an infinite God to try to communicate with finite everyday people like me and like you. I mean, how does a God who has no limits, all powerful, all wise, created everything, has always existed. How does he communicate with normal people like me and you to small little creatures like humans? Well, as we've been diving into this incredibly complex and theologically rich sermon series, this is really the conversation that we've been having the last few weeks. In fact, we started in the book of 2 Timothy, and we had a conversation that we saw between Paul and a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul wanted Timothy to understand that one of the ways that God communicates with man is through Scripture, right? Through your Bible. Now, for most of us, we've accepted this as fact, has accepted this as a reality. And if you have gone to a good church in your life, they've said, hey, this is God's eternal truth for you, for your life and for salvation. But if you think about really what is transpiring to allow us to have scripture, it is amazing. It's mysterious. And we were talking about a book written over thousands of years by hundreds of of different writers, all inspired by the Holy Spirit to come up with one consistent flowing narrative and truth. It is amazing that God has chosen to communicate with us in this way. Well, last week we got into an even more complex conversation and we keep diving in deeper and deeper and deeper, but we stepped into the waters in John chapter six. We stepped into a teaching of Jesus that was very polarizing and is still polarizing today. In fact, it's still a teaching that divides churches. And this is why if you drive around our community, even Bible believing churches will have different names on their door, right? It might say Baptist or Lutheran or whatever. It might say Methodist because of a topic like communion. See, as we dove into John 6, we see this teaching about Jesus. And he says, unless you take part in my body and my blood, you can have no part of me. And of course, the people are like, whoa, 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 this is too weird. This is too weird. But as the story goes on and we step into the Last Supper, we begin to see that it actually makes sense. That there's some sort of uh, amazing connection that God is making with us through ordinary means. The bread and the wine. And he's having this communication with us during this specific, supernatural, mysterious moment where he reaches out to us and we can reach out to him through this, this, this experience that we have together as a church. Well, today we're going to dive in even deeper into a more mysterious section of scripture. And you already heard it read, so you know it's going to be a challenging passage as we dive into this idea of holy baptism. Well, as we dive in, we're going to look into 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is written by Peter. He was the leader of disciples. And he was the leader of the disciples because Jesus said so. He made him the leader of the disciples. And after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Peter was in charge. And he led these group of, of 10 men, 11 including himself, and impacted the world and influenced the world. And they took the teachings of Jesus and the influence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they spread the gospel message. And as he did that, he wrote, and this is one of the things that he wrote for us. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. So he begins with a statement that if you've been in church for a long time, you're accustomed to, you're accustomed to this concept. 
And the idea is pretty simple, that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, and he shed the blood to cover up our sins. And if you've been in church, you've accepted this, right? And most every church, they're going to teach this, right? This is the foundation of our faith. But I'm going to challenge you today to step back a little bit, to step back from this verse and everything you've been taught and just kind of dive into the mystery of what this is truly communicating. What this is communicating is that an infinite God somewhere along the way decided that blood, a sacrifice, could actually cover up the wrongdoings of you and me. And the reason we know this is true is because we trust the Bible. And if we go back to the beginning of the story, we actually see this already starting from the beginning of the story. We have Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve's sin, which throws the world into havoc and there's death that enters the world. And as they're leaving the garden, God does something interesting. He takes an animal and he kills it and the blood is shed. And he makes for Adam and Eve clothing from the hide. Now he could have made them clothing out of cotton, out of fig leaves. He could have done anything he wanted, but he chose to set a precedent right away. He began to set a pattern. So we began to understand how he decided the world was going to work. So he kills this animal and clothes them. There's a sacrifice that puts something on them. And then as the story goes on and we go through the Old Testament, we see this popping up again, especially focused on the temple priest and sacrifice where God has his place where he meets with the people. And he has these priests who watch over the sacrifice and they bring in the animals. And for the people who have sinned and for the community who has sinned, they sacrifice these animals and the blood covers their sin. Now, all this is pointing to one pinnacle moment in our history as humanity, which is Jesus, which is the most mysterious of of all these things because God, an infinite God, decided to condescend to come down, wrap himself in flesh, to be born of a virgin, to grow up in front of us and go through all the stages that all of us have gone through. And then when he became a man, he taught for three years, taught us how to live and taught us the way of salvation. And then he went to the cross and became a sacrifice, became somebody who shed his blood to cover up our sins. Absolutely mysterious the way an infinite God decides to work in our lives. Well, Peter continues about the sacrifice and says this, the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So he begins to describe what the sacrifice was like, what Jesus was like. He said, the righteous, right? The person who did everything right for the unrighteous, for the people like you and me who have done almost everything wrong the good for the bad. Now, why would the sacrifice, why was it necessary? What was its purpose? Peter says to bring us to God, to connect us to God in a real relationship with him that can start in this life and last forever. And then he begins to describe it even more. He says the death of the flesh, right? Christ actually died. He physically died. He stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. He died. But even though he died physically, his spirit was alive. In fact, probably more alive than before because he had accomplished his task. And when his spirit was alive, Peter says, this is what happened. In which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark. So Peter begins to describe something incredibly challenging. Peter begins to describe 
what took place on those three days of death in the body, but alive in the spirit before the two were reunited and Christ's resurrection happened. Now I can't fully explain the mystery of this verse. And I don't know if anyone else can too, but it's an interesting thing. It says he went down to the place of prison was what's called or Hades, a different way to understand that, right? The place of the dead, a place where those people who have rejected the work of God were existing. People like the people who rejected the work of God in Noah's day. And apparently God does, or goes down there, or Jesus goes down there and does a victory lap and says, I have defeated the grave. I have conquered sin. And then after that, he returns. But in the midst of this, Peter says this next statement. In which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And so he begins to talk about the story of, of Noah now. He says, Noah was living in a day when people were incredibly, incredibly, incredibly corrupt, evil beyond evil. In fact, God, who can see the past, present, and future, looked at these people and knew there was no redemption. There was no restoration. Even the generation after them was just going to get more and more and more and more evil. So what was the option? The option was the flood. So he sends Noah and he preaches to them and they, of course, deny that. Noah builds this massive ark that they can see. They can see their salvation, but they deny that as well. And so God puts Noah and his family on the ark. The water comes and and wipes out the sin, wipes out the sinful people. And through the boat and through the water, Noah's family and himself are lifted above the fray. Well, Peter goes on and makes an interesting correlation. And baptism Now, you know what baptism is. Even if you're not a church person, you've probably seen this in a movie or something, right? Baptism. It involves water. It can be a young or old person. Sometimes it's sprinkling. Sometimes it's pouring. Sometimes it's a full body immersion or dipping. There's a lot of different ways that baptism is played out in the Christian church. But it's always done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? You get this idea of a baptism. So Peter goes on and says this, which this prefigured, now saves you. So what Peter's talking about is the story of Noah, right? The story of this water wiping away the sin of the world. Noah and his family lifted above the fray. And, and Peter is making a correlation here. He says, just like that, baptism is just like this. Now, this is an incredibly complex section of scripture. And like I said, this is one of those sections of scripture that actually will put a different name on your door as we try to understand an infinite God with finite minds. And so we wrestle with the mystery of God and then we debate and we have conversations and we divide. But what Peter is saying is that it is doing something. It's, it's saving you. And when he says this, the people are confused. The people don't get it. It's outside their framework of understanding life. So he says this, it's not as a removal of dirt from the body, right? So the people are struggling with this. They're wrestling with this. How can something that seems like a, a bath do anything? And he says, it's, it's not a bath, right? It's not like you're taking a shower or, or sitting in the tub. It does remove some dirt because water does remove dirt, but it's, it's so much more than that. Peter says, it's this, it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So an appeal is a conversation, right? An appeal is to go to somebody and ask them for something. So what Peter is saying is, is that through this mysterious 
moment in time that there's actually a conversation happening, an appeal to God and a conversation of God offering his grace to us. Now, why does this work? Why would this be effective? He says it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because of the work of Christ on the cross and his power over death. And then Peter closes with this statement, which is so significant. He says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. So Peter is saying here, is a statement that actually has been repeated many times in the New Testament. He's saying the reason that this works, which makes no sense, it's completely mysterious. The reason that it works is because Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who is resurrected, who ascended into heaven, is sitting at the right hand of God, which means he has taken on the role of all authority. He has the same role as God the Father, which means he can do whatever he wants to do. He could even do the most mysterious, illogical thing. If he says it's so, it is so. In fact, this isn't the first time a statement like this has been made in the New Testament. It actually is mentioned 84 times this word authority pops up. And every time this word pops up, it's always correlated to something mysterious. It's either preceding it or following it. It's said in situations like this, Jesus does a miracle and the people say, by what authority? How in the world are you able to pull this off? And Jesus says, because my father in heaven allows me to pull this off. How do you function against everything that we know about life? How do you have this authority? It also is in correlation to his teaching, right? How do you teach like this? You teach beyond a mortal man. How do you communicate like this and tell these stories like this and and speak with such authority? He says, because of my father in heaven. Because my father in heaven can do whatever my father in heaven wants to do. You see, as we dive into this complicated section of scripture, this is what we begin to see about an infinite God versus finite man. And we see this. An infinite God communicates effectively. Now, it's creatively and it's mysterious, but it is effective. But when we think about man, when we think about you, when you think about me and all the people that we know, we're not great at communicating. In fact, you can be talking to somebody who has everything in common with you. Think about your work. You can talk to somebody who is from the same culture, speaks the same language, is the same age, makes the same amount of money, right? You have everything in common and you go to send them an email and what happens? They misunderstand you. And then they write you back an email and you don't understand what they're really trying to apply. And then it turns into this big email war, doesn't it? Because we are not good at communicating as humans. We have a hard time connecting with one another. But God doesn't have that problem. In fact, God doesn't even have limitations on this problem. He is an effective communicator. So how does an effective communicator connect with the world's smartest man and a person who struggles with learning? How does he talk to somebody from this culture and that culture and that language and this language? How does he communicate with somebody who's the oldest person on earth and the newest newborn on earth? How does he accomplish this goal? And the answer is he finds something that works for everyone. Now I know this is complex and I know this is kind of like stepping into a seminary class. So I apologize for that. So I want to do something for you. 
I want to take you to a section of scripture that you're a little bit more familiar with, because it's very possible that you've never dove into this passage of scripture before. You've never seen this writing of Peter. I mean, it's, it's so complex. It's easy to avoid. It's easy not to talk about. It's definitely easy not to preach on. So let me walk you into a section of scripture that communicates the same thing. And you've heard it a number of times. It's the great commission. The great commission is the mission given to the disciples by Christ before he leaves. And listen to this language. This is how he begins. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, that's our trigger word, right? He's about to say something to them that is incredibly complex, incredibly mysterious. He's about to tell them something that goes against everything they could understand or comprehend or know, right? All authority. I can do whatever I want to do. And this is what he says next. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He gives them the mission of the church. A disciple is, is simply somebody who becomes like the master, becomes like the teacher, right? You listen to their teaching. You watch what they do. You see how they live, and then you become a carbon copy. That's a disciple. So he says to these disciples who followed him around for three years, he says, I want you to do the same thing, and I want you to go around the entire world. All people, all nations, all corners of the earth, all different cultures, all different languages, all different ages. I mean, all means all. And they're thinking, how in the world do we accomplish this goal? How do we talk to all people of all ages, of all genders, of all socioeconomical classes? How do we accomplish this goal, Jesus? And so he tells them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing he says is, baptize them, right? Something that anyone and everyone can get connected to God with. And then he goes on and says, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth, earth, age. There we go. That's the word I was searching for. So we see these two different ways that God is communicating with us. One is way more mysterious. He says, use baptism as a vehicle to communicate the gospel message to people. But it also says, teach people. Now, I don't know if you're feeling it or if it's just me feeling it, but there is a, there is a rub here, right? There, there's a challenge here. There's a, a complication here because you might be thinking, well, but what about that kid that I knew? What about that kid that I knew who was baptized when he was young and now I know he's so far apart from God? Or maybe you're thinking, but, but what do we do with that person who went to camp and they had this conversion experience and they, they prayed this prayer and gave their life to Christ? I mean, how about, how about that person, but now they're so far away from God? What do we do with this complication? What do we do with this? Are they saved because they're baptized? Are they saved because they prayed a prayer? Are they saved because something happened, there was a moment, but now they're so far away? I mean, what happens to those people? How does that work? How does an infinite God uh, fail in his communication? And the answer is, he doesn't, but we do. You see, we have the full potential to reject God's movement in our life. We have the full potential to, to step out and stiff arm God's communication into our hearts and into our minds and into our souls. We have this, and that's what we're taught in the small catechism. In fact, that's what we're taught in the Bible too, right? That's the echo 
The Bible is, is simply the, the source of the echo of the small catechism. In Mark 16, 16, it says, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. But if you don't believe, if you reject God's movement in your heart, no matter what way he's communicating with you, you will be condemned. So if we don't have faith, we don't have God. Another way to say it is a little bit simpler is that God wants to have a relationship with you. But if you don't want to have a relationship with God in this life, he's not going to force you into relationship with him in the next life. Now, I know this has all been very complex, very difficult to understand. I mean, we are, we are diving into scriptures that no other pastor would be insane enough to dive into because they're so complex and so difficult. But I want you guys to really understand the depth of your God and the size and scope of your God. He does things that we don't understand. He does things that we can't do. He is so large. He is so infinite. And that is the beauty of our God. But I want to trim it down for you a little bit today. I want you to be able to walk away with something. And so if you've, you've loved every second or hated every second so far, I'm going to give you something to walk away with today. And I want you to think about your God. I want you to know about your God. You see, this infinite God loves you. This infinite God wants to have a relationship with you. This infinite God wants to communicate with you. And even if you don't understand the mysteries, and even if you don't really understand it all, and even if you don't get all the complexities of this God, as I look at the heart of God the Father, and I think about the hearts of even human fathers, I have to believe that if you only know one thing, if you only learn one thing, that I want you to know, and I think he wants you to know, one word that you can say to him, which is simply, Father. Father.